You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. He'll just stand up like if he's got to take a leak or or if somebody calls him or, you know, his phone rings or, or he gets like a wild hair or something like that. He just, or, he just walks right out. Oh, dude, he'll just walk out of the room while I'm in the middle of a sentence. I've seen like, him do it. Dude, it's... I've seen him do it. I've seen him do it before. It's like, hi, welcome to the show, Tony. How are you? Got, oh, okay. I guess we'll wait. <laughs> just totally derails me, man. Just totally like my train of thought takes you out of your game. My train of thought kills all the passengers, man. Jumps the track, kills every passenger. Hi, welcome to the motherfucking podcast. <laughs> Episode number 44. Tony's out of town. Tony has the night off. Tony has the week off. He's uh <laughs> so uh the windy city. A, a, a funny thing, Gordo. By the way, please welcome Filling in for Tony this week, my special guest, our producer, and uh, one-time, hopefully many-time guest on the show. Please welcome Mr. Jason Gordon, a.k.a. Gordon Leadfoot, a.k.a. Gordo from uh, Granny Tweed and Gordophonic Records and a bunch of other shit. Say hi, Gordo. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> so anyway, the awful things about Tony. So yeah, Tony, oh no, this is kind of funny. We're just going to talk about Tony the whole time, okay, and, you're, and you're going to just go, I'm not Tony, and I never will be. <laughs> I can't do what he does. I'm like, I'm like that, that girl you date for a bit that just talks about what an asshole her ex-boyfriend was. God, I'm yeah. so glad that you're not like Keith. Keith was such a fucking <laughs> asshole. He was all into like modular synthesizers and stuff. Oh, that book, that book over there, that belonged to Keith. Yeah. Yeah, he was really into uh, T- Tom Robbins. Tom Robbins. <laughs> yeah, Tom. Holy Ro- shit. Yeah, that was actually Tom Robbins is cool. And my ex-wife was really into Tom Robbins. No joke. Really into Tom Robbins. She had good taste in books. Well, anyway, right on. anyway. Yeah. Uh, so Tony um, and Laura couldn't go home for Christmas, and in like one of the most midwestern moves I think I've ever s- heard somebody make. Like, they worked it out with their family where basically they were able to go back for Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving is more important over there, stay here for Christmas, right? and then go out there for the Super Bowl because the Bears were looking real good when they booked the tickets. Right. And they're like, yeah, you know, if the Bears go to the Super Bowl there, we're going to want to make sure we're around in Chicago for that one. So, uh you know that's ba- that's basically going to be our Christmas this oh, year. That was yesterday. That was yesterday. Uh, yeah, I was reading a book. Yeah, <laughs> you were reading a book. Yeah, I was hanging out with my family. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend about the show. And uh, shout out to all the people who um, who back us on Patreon. 
Uh, sorry, things were kind of fucked up this month. Patreon was a little behind on getting uh, their billing taken care of, but Uh-oh. it looks like it's about ninety percent complete. So all of you were who might have been surprised by uh, by the the your accounts being withdrawn from a few days late. We are sorry about that, but uh, it looks like it all got worked out. So thank you very much. So yeah, you were reading a book for the Super Bowl. I was yeah, specifically for the Super Bowl. I was reading a book. Uh, it's called Red Shirts. I can't pronounce the guy's last name. It's is sh- it a Schlancy? Schlancy? I I don't know. Tom it's Clancy? Something, not really. The no. Hunt for Red Shirt October. No. <laughs> <laughs> Red Shirt Tober. Yeah. Uh, no. It's it's like based on that whole thing in the Star Trek universe where. Uh, you know, you have the main characters who never and get killed. And then the killed, red shirts. And then the red shirts get killed all the time. And so it's it's a very good Unless look. you're Jonathan Frakes. Yeah. Or Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton, exactly. Or Jean-Luc Picard. The book, the book is partially dedicated to Will Wheaton, so. it went, So Will Wheaton, was, was he supposed to be a red shirt, like, like expendable red shirt, and they just kept him on the program, or what? Yeah, he was supposed to be a red shirt, and he said, look, guys, stand by me. Oh, that's <laughs> right. He was in stand by. That was a terrible joke. This is my me. dad joke. And he was out. Gordon. He was Gordon he was, in stand was, by he me. He was Gordy, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It Full circle. It should have been you, Full Gordy. Full It should have been you, Gordy. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, man, he's he's the hit of Comic Con though. You know, Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. He's he's like. I can't help but feel like the, the the jokes from Family Guy are majorly responsible for. <laughs> the, I had no idea what his name was until they started joking about it on uh, on Family Guy. Yeah, I didn't know what Jonathan Frakes' name. Well, I mean, I'm sure I knew. Like, I knew who Jonathan Frakes was, yeah. but like. Um, some things have been surfacing of uh, Jonathan Frakes's basically uh, his his unsolved mysteries. Have you seen that? No. Like okay, so there was unsolved mysteries, right? Right. And then Dean Cain had Ripley's Believe It or Not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind of in between <laughs> Dean Cain and Bob Stack was was a show that was like Beyond Belief with Jonathan Frakes, like, and it was it awesome. was like weird. Oh no, it's not awesome. <laughs> It's yeah, it's really bad. I used to eat that shit up when I was a kid. Like you used Ripley's to eat believer. shit up. Yeah. No, I used to watch Straight that stuff too. Up. Straight I loved uh, the Outer Limits. I loved Outer Limits. I loved the Twilight Zone. Yeah. By the way, during the Super Bowl, did you see the um, the commercial for the new Twilight Zone series with Jordan Peele? That sounds awesome. It it looks cool, but it's also supposed to come out April first. So I've got this oh. really bad feeling mm. that it's a fucking prank. And I gonna, really hope that it's true. Me too. Because that would be fucking incredible. Yeah, Jordan Peele is is kind of a weird, surreal, sci-fi, like, suspense thriller filmmaker. Yeah. Who who would have thought, like, yeah. after watching Key and Peele, seeing the type of stuff that he's come out with uh, in a- Get a- Out. Ron. Yeah. He, well, <laughs> dude, I appreciate that sketch in that no one ever forgets my name now. But like as as like a bartender and service professional, it's like it's like it's like hi, what's your name? It's Aaron. Oh, A. Aaron, A. Aaron. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it helps you remember, I'm 
Okay with it. Just I haven't heard that one before. I worked with it, and and then they'll be like, you know what I'm talking about, right? And I'll be like, yeah, but only because of customers making the joke. I've never seen the Key and Peel sketch. Not that I haven't watched Key and Peel. Yeah, but I I have never gotten around to seeing that sketch. You literally have never seen it because I don't need to. Wow. Because I've heard so many people make the jokes. In There's fact, so many reenactments. Yeah. I know. I get the I get the I get the best part of the whole sketch every time somebody finds out what my name is. And then he said and then he said and then he said this. You've never seen that? Yeah. Put your name. Put your name. I worked with a guy named Blake too. So everyone would be like, it's Aaron and Balake and we'd both be like, Yeah. That is annoying. Yeah. That is extremely annoying. Yeah, but catchy things tend to be a little tend to be a little annoying. Yeah. They, so, uh, so the Super Bowl. So you were reading. You were reading a book. Did, like, did you have the game on in the background, or you just do not give a shit about the Super Bowl I, at all? I don't really do sports teams and stuff. Right. You know, uh, growing up, I, I had very limited exposure to to the sports, and uh, didn't didn't really engage much in that world. You know, it wasn't it wasn't my thing. I um. I have never been what I would consider a big sports fan, but I am a big hanging out fan. Sure. And I am I'm a big fan of the camaraderie that sports brings. Yeah. And I'm really into demonstrations of civic pride. Oh yeah. Cuz when you really deconstruct it, uh which I do often <laughs> everything that I'm watching constantly to to much to the annoyance of my family and friends, because um, I can, you know, suck the fun out of just about anything by overanalyzing it. Um, you know, I look at the guys that are playing professional football, and I'm like, I'm like, rationally, why do I care what a bunch of millionaires and tights who aren't even from my city, you know, playing, you know, our our city versus your city, and right, and and of course, when I'm talking about this with my brother and it, or with my sister and my dad and my uncle, because a bunch of us got together to watch the game yesterday at my dad's, and my dad goes, actually, they've got a guy on the Broncos that's from Denver. He went to high school here, and I'm like, one guy, huh? There's one guy on the entire Denver Broncos. That's like KU basketball. I was a KU basketball fan for many many years. I still am. Yeah, actually, and uh, that's that's kind of the same as like that guy's from Chanute. Oh, he's from Chanute. But they, like, but they, yeah, okay, but... KU. They at least went to the university. Yeah, they, they did. At they least did. went to school there. Like, yeah, they at least pretended to go to school. Like, which there's is like you know, there's a guy like Talib from the, and I don't even know his first name. That's how much I know about sports. From the Broncos is now playing for the L.A. Rams, who I still thought were the St. Louis Rams. Um, the whole time I'm oh, watching this yeah. game, I went, oh, they're the L.A. Rams now. <laughs> I, had, I had no idea. So that's how much I know about sports. But right. I do really like kind of picking a team, picking my you know group of millionaires and tights. Sure. And, and I started analyzing that during the game yesterday, and I was like, I hate the Patriots. And then I started analyzing that. I was like, why do I hate the Patriots? I was like, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit about the Patriots. They, I, I guess I hate them because they win a lot of games and everybody likes them and I like to root for the underdog. Right. But at the end of the day, I really, I really don't care. I don't care about Tom Brady. I don't care about Gronkowski, whatever his, whatever his name is. I don't, I don't care that they cheated 
because all I mean, I kind of feel like in order to be on a professional sports team, you kind of have to cheat a little bit. Right. It's part of the game. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's like it's like having spies in war. You it's like, know what it's I mean? Like, it's why they have referees there to make sure that you're cheating correctly. Yeah. You know, every time. And if you can cheat and get away with it, I feel like that's part of the um oh, espionage part of the game. Sure. You know, that's the that's the psychological part of the game. And then all the you know, all the fans can shit talk that, you know, that move and be like, I can't fucking believe it. But that's part of it. Yeah. Is like it's sitting, a big part of it. Sitting around like listening to my uncle and my parents uh uh good friend Jim. Uh you've probably met Jim Gelroth at a couple of his uh, our shows. Jim and Roxanne are the the couple that always come with my parents that uh they oh, come right to yeah, so many yeah. of our shows. And um and Jim and Roxanne are hanging out, and we're all, you know, and my brother-in-law and my sister and 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 my uncle Dan from Pueblo, we're all hanging out watching <laughs> the game, and and everybody's got their commentary, and we're yelling, and we're getting excited, and yeah. I do not give a shit about either team, but some there's something about like yelling about it with people you care about that's that's fun. It's it a, is fun. It's a bonding ritual. It, it is fun. I will I will give you that, man. I. I've definitely had a lot of fun sitting in a room yelling at a TV, you know, you know, over sports. Have you ever, have you ever, sports ball? You should go. If you ever get the chance to hang out with Laura and Tony when the Bears are playing. Oh, yeah. Especially if they've got family in town. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sit like, because Bears fans, like, there are a handful of teams that are like, have such a heartbreaking record, but have like are from cities with such an overly inflated sense of civic loyalty. You know, a a place like Chicago, like Chicago, you know, they're like, yeah, we're the second city, but we're really like the first city. You know, we're way better than New York. (laughs) And they don't talk like that. They're like, yeah, we're, you know, Chicago and we're the best and we got the best food and, uh, you know, we got the best bars and, you know, we got the best history and, uh, you know, we're just, we're just better than everybody, you know? Yeah. Like that, like Chicago is, is fiercely proud of where they're from. So like. Best crowd watch. we ever played for when we were in Chicago is after a game at Wrigley Field, you know. Oh, so it's oh. like you know, it's like wow, there's a ton of fucking people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Damien, Damien works at a bar or worked. I don't think he works there anymore. But Tony's brother Damien from the Blind Staggers, he worked at um, the Gingerman, which is right there in Wrigleyville. Tony's sister worked at the Cubby Bear, which is right there in, in Wrigleyville. Yeah, yeah, and like when. The Cubs won the World Series. People lost their fucking oh, minds. Yeah, of course dude. they did. Like when in Denver, it's like when one of our teams start doing well, we're like, "All right, hot damn! <laughs> Isn't that exciting, huh? Man, how lucky can one city get? <laughs> Gee whiz! Like we love our Broncos, we love our teams, but when it's not going well, we're like, "Oh well, I guess I'll go to the mountains or something." But well, sure. Like Chicago, like Chicago sports is like, like it's part of your cultural identity to be from Chicago. Yeah, I feel like. So if you ever get a chance, I went with them to Wyman's to go see the Bears play once, and people are yelling, they're banging on tables, they're flipping out over every play, and I, dude, I caught myself like jumping out of my seat and like 
finding the best ways to make noise and <laughs> and I mean like get I would, into it, dude. I would say the Bears are like my number two team just because I know some people from there and it's fun to watch games with them and get all worked up. It's also really fun when it's a really important game to pretend you know nothing about it. <laughs> like when the when the Bears were in the playoffs and and that what what's his name the the kicker that ruined the game for everybody. Oh right. Like I heard about that guy. Oh yeah. I I I like to be like so which team are we rooting for? Are we the blue guys <laughs> or the white guys? I are we the blue guys or the orange guys? We're the goddamn blue and orange guys. <laughs> Where the fuck did this guy come from? Him. So who uh, are you? <laughs> the the main thing, um, the main thing though with the Super Bowl is is I I really over the last few years um, have begun to celebrate the Super Bowl for for kind of different reasons. Um, number one. My dad's birthday is is always right around the Super Bowl. Oh, cool. And so... That makes for a fun celebration. Yeah, so yesterday was my dad's birthday, and the, the Super Bowl is right on his birthday. Right my, da- my dad and I are almost, almost 30 years apart. I'd, I'd say 29 years apart. Yeah. So I'll just round it off and say about 30 years apart. So seeing, like, being able to experience that and hang out with my dad and kind of... It kind of gives me this um, lag measure right. to be able to say, you know, between now, age 37, and where my dad is at, age 66, you know, in that 30-year gap between us, what do I hope to accomplish? Where do I want to be when I'm my dad's age, you know? Uh, what are the things that I can um, learn from my dad that have made him the man he is at at 66 years old? Now, you know, my dad, it, like all human beings, is flawed. There are things that I that I would omit from the the recipe. There are things that I would modify in the recipe for sure for for being a person. But as far as how my dad will be remembered hopefully 30, 40 years from now when he eventually passes away, hopefully longer than that because uh, he takes pretty good care of himself. I, I, I kind of th- I've been thinking about that a lot, about kind of how I'm going to fill up the space in between where I am and where he is. Right. If that makes sense. Um, to that point, the Super Bowl was also the last time I ever got drunk. Oh, really? Yeah. Broncos... Uh, uh, Broncos Seahawks when uh, the Broncos just totally blew it like right right from the get-go I was uh, we were showing it at Three Kings it was one of the few times we've tried to show a Super Bowl at Three Kings yeah, we that's, had it on a that's big not projection a usual screen. thing no they at that point they were fiercely a- opposed to even having a TV in the bar right um, and then what ended up happening was so many people would peek their head in the bar and go, you guys got the game on? And then we'd be like, no, we don't like sports. And they'd go, <laughs> oh, okay, nerd. And they'd go down the street to Badgers. We're not going to buy our beer here. Yeah. And, and I mean, we would lose money because of it. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and I mean, even I, I just kind of, it, it's one of those things where it's like, if you take the fierce stance against professional sports, you're, you're 
kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Right. If well, you're, especially as a bar. If like, you're a bar. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, that's, yeah, that is definitely, you're losing out on some. Well, and if you don't have any live music going on, yeah. which is the, the one thing that the Three Kings is most famous for. Of course. It doesn't, and, and I heard so many people that were like, complaining when we started having the games on and I'm like what what do you care like yeah the uh oh man like this the, isn't that kind of bar this is this kind of bar well I used to I used to work in Lodo and so when there was big sporting events going on you would see the the drunken idiots from the sports column and stuff like that that oh, were and, yeah. or, and I was at the one up so we played sports there and so yeah. you would see that but then I would work on Broadway and I would dare say that it is equally as annoying to have a bunch of people rolling their eyes and yelling sports ball yeah. walking up and down the street. Yeah. Like that kind of like self-identification with being too good for something. Right, right. Is as much of a turnoff to me as some slobbering wasteoid who is way too identified with his with the identity politics of his team. This is exactly how punk rock I am. Yeah, exactly. This is it's, exactly how punk rock I am and fuck you. Well, and what they do what they don't realize <laughs> is what with uh like the the like I, I don't know the, the the rebels. I don't know what you would call them. Like like punk rockers, metalheads, the the counterculture, countercultural tribalism. The others is the same side of the tribalistic coin. You know, yeah, it's like absolutely. It's like just because you are not into sports and you're not wearing the the team shirt and you don't and you're and you're not one of those guys doesn't mean that you're not locked into some uh it doesn't mean tribal you, identity you don't have thing. your own uniform because it, punk rockers love uniforms oh they sure do don't they and, and like can, that's yeah I, I like that you brought that up because it really is it really is no different when you come down to it. it's like rooting for the team wearing the uniform yeah it's the same fucking thing yeah. honestly you know like sports music whatever it is you know go around wearing a fucking ballet t-shirt whatever it is I don't know. It, it's but you have a particular uniform and you have a particular yep. code of ethics and a particular lifestyle, and you're like, "This is who I want to be, and this is who I identify." These as. bands are punk. These bands are not punk. Right. These are the bands I'm allowed to like. These are the bands that you're a poser if you do like. <laughs> right. Like, and I, dude, I remember growing yeah. up, feeling like there was like something wrong with me within the world of of punk rock and metal because i was into a lot of stuff yeah that was not cool to them right. and i would have mean assholes making their little comments and and little snide remarks here and there yep. and like now as an adult looking back i'm like man were you really like trying to tell me what was acceptable to listen to and what isn't isn't that like the the exact opposite of the purpose of punk rock and extreme music and counterculture to begin with is it's like, I want to express myself and be the person that I'm in, yeah. that, that, that I am. Well, the person that I am likes punk rock, but I also like this whole other world of music. Yeah. You know? Well, the the idea of punk rock is, you know, an inclusive community, but it's 
but it's actually kind of not. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's very exclusive. Very exclusive. I, I really like the idea of punk rock in general. It's like, okay, doing things differently, doing things uh, on your own without the typical, you know, signifiers or whatever of, you know, whatever you call commercial music. I dig that. I get it. But it means punk rock means way more to me than, you know, like uh, than just uh, just one band or, or a T-shirt or a fucking you know, jean jacket or a fucking leather jacket, whatever it is. I would even say that the more specific you get in in the genres, the more exclusive the tribes are. Oh, absolutely. Some of the most um, exclusive people I've met, some of the most condescending people that I've met, uh, uh, the the like... The, the the most tribalist people I've met have been uh, people in like the grindcore or like crust punk world. Sure, you know yeah. which yeah. are which are you know talk about themselves like total outcasts. You know they're like I'm an outcast to society, and it's but then if you know I remember I um and I may have mentioned this before, and if I have, I'm sorry for those of you who have listened to all 44 episodes. But the very first tour we went on, um. We followed this band. We had met this band, Word Salad, who I still like to this day. It's they're, a great name. They're they're a grindcore band from um, from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and they were really cool. But they were kind of you know they were older guys, and we were young and stupid, and they they were a little mean, admittedly. But they were <laughs> older guys, and we were little punk kids. So you know, yeah. I've ran into some of them since then, and they've turned out to be very sweet guys, and 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 things have rounded out. But back then. Um, we had a day off and we were kind of new to this touring thing and, and they had a show in Dayton, Ohio at a house party. And, and so we're like, okay, and this is like in the days when like AOL messenger was around <laughs> yeah. and the internet was still pretty new <laughs> and book your own fucking life online, o- OG you know, internet. Yeah. So like, you know, I'm sure there's some guy in his fifties out there listening to this. who's like, BookYourOwnFuckingLife.com. Let me tell you something about Book Your Own Fucking Life, man. <laughs> we used to have to do it on pay phones and da da da. And you had to call, blah blah blah. blah. Anyway, but um, in in those days, we uh, we followed we followed Word Salad to this party um, in Dayton, Ohio, where a bunch of like grindcore and death metal and 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 uh, you know crusty dreadlocky you know butt flap bands were uh, supposed to be playing. Yeah. And I was just trying to make a conversation with one of the dudes there. And really, my only knowledge at that point of ex- what I would consider extreme music, I was 17 years old. So I was still, you know, I was still fairly new to punk rock. I was, I was into D.I. and the Dead Kennedys and G.G. Allen and thing like, things like that. But, but I, I had just started to get introduced to, like, extreme metal you know, grindcore, the the whole crust thing, the whole like under underground right. world of punk rock. Underneath the underground. Now you would think, you would think that the attitude would be like, "Oh, you're new to this. Let me take you under my wing and teach you about this magical world of of underground countercultural extreme music so that you can experience the joy that I do. A lot of people would rather just say you don't know shit. Yeah, they'd much rather call you a poser. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the meanest word I can think of and yeah. one of the most hypocritical words I can think of. Of course. 
Um, yeah. Well, it's not the meanest word I can think of. There's a lot meaner words. It's but pretty it, mean, though. It's super mean, and it's super reductive. Yeah. And, um, it's dismissive. It's super dismissive. Yeah. And guess what? Everybody is a poser because everybody has created and established an identity that they are uh, projecting to the world. They are they're walking yeah they're walking around with their little costume on and saying this is who I am to the world so everyone's a poser yeah um so so anyway so this guy he, uh, I'm kind of looking you know looking at his records and admiring them and we're listening to records and stuff and and sitting around and I'm trying to make conversation and I go hey do you like spaz. Because at that point, and who doesn't like Spaz? I love honestly, Spaz, Dude, spaz I, is I, the best. I fucking love Spaz, but <laughs> I didn't know about the subtle nuances between like grindcore and power violence. Oh yeah, and I didn't know that like to like diehard grindcore and death metal kids, power violence is kind of considered like almost like new school punk rock because it's more of a skater thing and grindcore right, is yeah, more of a metal yeah. thing and power violence is more of a punk rock thing and da 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 I didn't know that back then I just knew loud fast and guys who sing like this you know <laughs> that's all I really knew you know I knew loud fast hardcore type of stuff and uh, the guy like kind of chortled at me you know <laughs> is that is that what it is scoffed he scoffed yes yeah, scoffed. he scoffed at me he went he goes he goes he goes the only way i have any spaz is if it's the b-side to something good oh, and i'm man. like and now i'm looking back i'm like man you live in fucking dayton ohio dude you're throwing a house party at your crib in dayton ohio man all right, what are you doing trying to show off to some fucking 17-year-old who's just out here trying to figure the world out, man? Why you got to be a dick? Yeah. 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 But people love to do that. So the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back around to the Super Bowl. But yeah, but yeah, man. Um, I don't know. It, it was... So yes, yesterday was a lot of fun hanging out with the family. It was really fun um, t- taking the time to kind of meditate on on those on on the five years of sobriety and you know my definition of sobriety which some people might disagree with uh, some of the some of the evangelists might disagree with and you know my dad's birthday and and uh, sounds like a good family yeah, gathering it you was know? it was that's, really cool that's awesome um i will say that it was the worst super bowl i have ever watched in my life, isn't it like the only thing I actually know about what happened yesterday is it's the one of the lowest scoring Super yeah, Bowls, the, um, thirteen to three, some shit like that. Uh, yeah, I want to say, I, and, and don't quote me on this, but I want to say that the Rams uh, punted nine times in a row. Wow. Um, basically, they they were unable to score. They were it like. It was just there was just nothing going on the whole game, and it. I guess it was cool if you like watching like defensive plays, but also uh, there's there's debate as to whether or not the Rams even belonged there. But that's kind of what's fun about the playoffs and the Super Bowl is it's like we don't know who's going to end up here, right? Because it's not necessarily the best teams that end up there, right? Right. It's like kind of whoever ends up in the playoffs and ends up doing well in the playoffs. 
So in that sense, it's kind of random. Yeah, it's just like the uh, it's like the NCAA tournament, you know. Yeah, it's there's the there's same, so same many rounds. Yeah, that you can't you can't really you can't say with real certainty. There have been times when the, like the worst teams in the league have ended up in the Super Bowl, and that's kind of what makes it fun. But this was like this was pretty bad. Um, the uh, I I did miss the halftime show, even though I will say flat out that uh, Maroon Five is a guilty pleasure of mine. I oh, like Maroon Five. They were the they were the halftime. Yeah, and Adam Levine took his shirt off. Apparently, really, and you missed it, and I missed it. <laughs> but no, I, I I like I unabashedly enjoy Maroon Five. I think Adam Levine's got a very good voice, and I think they've written some very cool pop songs. He's got a great voice. I did see a quote from him recently that really pissed me off, though. What did he say? He said, "Rock and roll is nowhere." I mean, if it's somewhere. I'm not experiencing it. Like that that was kind of his his quote. Now at the same And it's like, okay, well you're kind of operating at a different level. Like you I don't I don't know that you would be you know seeing Adam Levine at a, you know, at a Three Kings show. Well, and that's the thing. <laughs> you know? Is you have to you have to consider the source <laughs> of the information. Yeah. That that guy isn't going to club shows. Right, right. You know, if he's in LA, he's I mean, maybe he's going to the Viper Room. Maybe he's going to Whiskey A Go-Go, but the bands that are playing at the Whiskey in the Viper Room aren't the bands that are playing in, like, North County, San Diego at the bars there. There's a really good metal scene in North County, San Diego. Um, yeah. There's there's a lot of great uh, – there's, like, the uh, the slide bar in, in Orange County. Well, just it just kind of – to me, it, it kind of seemed like, okay, so you're not even trying – to look yeah. for rock and roll. Well, like, a, you're not even you're not even trying to find what might be considered. It's not in his rock world. And roll, it's you know? not in his world. It's not. He's completely unaware of yeah. it. And so when you when you take that into consideration, a quote like that makes sense because it's like, well, he's going to fucking the voice parties with Blake Shelton yeah. and fucking Christina Aguilera and and what's his name? CeeLo Green. Man, I haven't watched that show in forever. I don't even know who's on it. <laughs> I, I do know that CeeLo hasn't been on there in like a very long time. But, yeah. Well, but, I just, I find it kind of personally offensive a little bit just as a rock dude. Right. That another rock dude is saying like rock is nowhere. You know, I mean, come right. on, dude. Come on. Right. Really, like, you know, that, that just kind of myths me, you know. Oh, no. And, and. Uh, he it was probably a completely offhand remark that he made and then later went you know analyzed it back and went hmm that was a really dumb fucking thing to say but because I'm a celebrity well of course you never know if it's taken out of context or whatever i don't know right right yeah that's just that's just all i saw was that little sound bite and i was just like well well uh, i would say this <laughs> gordo i would say this do not judge a man until you've seen him without his shirt on. We'll see and that's and see that's exactly what I'm doing. I feel I feel badly right now because I did not see that performance. I have not seen him with his shirt off and therefore I have no leg to stand on. I um I also kind of feel like the like people make a big fucking deal about the halftime show and I think it's annoying. You know, I I, I it's think a, it's, it's a big to do generally. Well, it's just so like visually noisy. Mm -hmm. It's just so much fucking going on, and it's all the like 
the 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 video or uh, the AV components and the explosions and the lights and the people that are dancing and waving giant sheets on the ground yeah, or the whatever. Last one I saw was Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga, yeah, I'm a big fan of Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga, I, I'm I'm a genuine fan of Lady Gaga. Yeah. I love her. I like Lady Gaga quite a bit. But I don't. I I, I wasn't watching the Super Bowl. I was watching her documentary. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, there was there was the year the Red Hot Chili Peppers played, and they were totally. It was all playback. Right, they weren't, they yeah. weren't plugged I, in. They, they got they got torn apart for that. Yeah, it's like why? Yeah. Like the last the last really good one I remember is like Tom Petty played. Oh like yeah, Tom, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers played, and they, as far as I could tell, were playing their we're instruments, playing their songs. Um, <laughs> I'm just. Like if I, I because they can I'm yeah I'm in I'm into seeing a concert I'm into seeing a performance but like a, a, like a a uh, a, surp- a superfluous amount of pageantry just is is annoying to me right you know what I mean it's, oh it's, yeah and it's uh, huge there's there's you know there's cannons going off there's lasers it's it's a whole big deal yeah it's too much um. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who would I, you like to see at the Super Bowl halftime show? Who, if you could hand pick, if you could hand pick your, you know, like all time greatest halftime entertainment, Pee Wee like, Herman, hands down, Pee Wee Herman, Pee Wee Herman, <laughs> that, would, that would be pretty fucking good. Pee Wee Herman with a boombox, <laughs> just dancing, doing the tequila dance. Yeah. And I want him to get paid as much as everyone else does. No, um, that's the thing is it's not like they're not trying to like put on a concert. They're not trying to put on music in uh, in a way that that I necessarily consume it. They're they're presenting it more like. Like the hot musical number in the middle of the story, you know, it's like like they've got a like things flow into each other, and it's like sure. they, they play no, it's, like yeah, it's very they play like production. a little piece, like it's a lot of medleys, you know what I mean? And I, I'm not like I would much rather watch, even though I'm not like the biggest fan uh, fan of uh, the institution of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I love the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concerts. Sure. Like those those video series that they've done where, you know, oh my god, it's it's Bruce Springsteen and uh and uh John Fogerty are doing a song together and right. oh my god, Tom Morello is coming out to play yeah. with them. That's, yeah. you know, they're playing songs together yeah. or like Oh my God! Simon and Garfunkel are doing a set together. Like they haven't played yeah. together in how long? And Crosby, Stills, and Nash are doing a thing. And um, and here comes Young. You know, and here comes yeah. <laughs> and here comes oh my God! Jerry Lee Lewis is somehow still alive. And <laughs> and uh, oh man, actually that was one of the saddest things I've ever seen is Jerry Lee Lewis on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concerts trying to play Great Balls of Fire. Oh man, I never saw that. Who? It was just is it rough because he's an old man. Yeah, and you know he's like he's like you shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Dun, 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 <laughs> too much love driving man insane. <laughs> I broke my will. What a thrill! Goodness gracious! Great balls of fire! Like he can still play, 
but it's not. It's just not crazy red hair and like kicking over the piano. He, does, he doesn't stool. have the great balls of fire. No, he, he, he was had. he was there for a check. Yeah, and phoning it in. Another one. Um, another one that was sad, but also like really cool was um, Ray Davies from the Kinks. Oh yeah, he came out and did a bunch of Kink songs, which was awesome. But he also can't Love sing. The Kinks. He also can't sing. Right. And kind of what makes the Kinks cool is like it would have been a it like I feel like it would have been cooler if like the Kinks came out and did a bunch of songs. Sure. You know, playing as a band. That's kind of to me the appeal of the Kinks is they're they're like the first punk rock band. They're yeah, they're a fantastic fucking band, man. Yeah. I love the Kinks. I would just I don't know, I think I would like to see them do an open mic of people in uh, in the crowd. Just give him an acoustic guitar. <laughs> at the Super like, Bowl? Yeah, at the Super Bowl. And just be like, here you go. Check it out. This is, uh, you know, this is Rob. He's from Cleveland. I'd almost. And uh, <laughs> and he's going to play Free Fallen, you know. If, can the audience gong him, though? Yeah, sure. God, that's so mean. Make it a Make it a community thing. Make it a real community thing. Just like everybody has a button in their seat and they can vote, vote him on or off. They just get a cane. And just, you know, one of those yoink. big old yoink them off. Yeah, for sure. You know who I would love to see uh, on the Super Bowl is Bill Withers. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, I'd love to see, like, I'd love to see, like, Bill Withers. And uh, he would have a long medley to do. Oh, yeah. Because he's got a lot of goddamn hits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no man. Shit. Uh, so, so, Gordo, what is, what is going on? What's going on with you, man? What's going on with you musically, creatively? What are you doing? Well, presently, I am in the midst of mixing, well, kind of tracking, mixing. I do kind of everything all at once. Um, the Granny Tweed, Granny Tweed's next album, Ape Shit Mood Ring. Ape Shit Mood Ring? Yeah. Where did that come from? I have no fucking clue. It just sounded good together, I think. And did, just... Do you have one of those refrigerator magnet, like, Sentence making I games. I used to. I used to have one of those. I totally used to have one of those. But yeah, I haven't had one in years. How did you come up with that ape shit mood ring? Come on. I really don't know. Like these things just sound good together. They just come to me. They do. It just comes to me. They do. I just. It was. It's a song that we have. It's an instrumental, of course, because you can't really write a song called ape shit mood ring and really write it about something. So you really kind of have to visualize uh, your own lyrics. <laughs> So fill so the, fill in the blank. Does it have an ape shit mood ring vibe to it? Like, is it like kind of crazy? Yeah, yeah. I and think then so. also a little psychedelic yeah, and weird. Absolutely. It just it just describes the feel of the song. That's all it does. Okay. That's all. See, it that's does. not nothing. That's well, not just totally random. Right. It's not totally random, but it's just it's it's almost there. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's semi random. It's almost. But yeah. But like we were talking about earlier, uh, we were talking about uh, using click tracks. Yeah, that's what I. That's kind of what I wanted to lead into. Is I wanted to, I, because you guys don't use click track. The band does not use click tracks. We we have we have had abysmal failure at using click tracks. Um, really, Josh Finley will throw things at you if you say click track. Like he will. He has no interest in doing it. He will not. Yeah, he he rarely entertains even hearing hearing the the click at all. Can you tell the difference between stuff that is recorded with a click and stuff that is not? Yes, because I record my own stuff with a click track. Because I've got I've got mixed feelings about it. Yeah, you know, um, we were 
we didn't used to do click track. And then years ago, um, fourth year freshman met uh, through through Tay's dad, through Tate. Oh, yeah. Um, Tate was giving painting lessons to this guy who claimed to be a music producer. And this guy, this guy's name um, was Lance Bendixson. And he had legitimate production experience. He was legitimately a very good musician. Um, he, he had some credentials that we could look up. And basically what he was doing is he was kind of marketing himself as this like this guru for hire to like take young and experienced bands and, and teach them how to do things right. Now right. I have mixed feelings about that experience. Um, I kind of felt like it was, it was selling a lot of dreams to, to young and experienced bands, but we learned like it, there are elements of was it. Was he actually seemed, teaching you something? He did teach us a lot. Well, that's good. He did teach us a lot. At the same time, he was kind of a relic of that world of music that doesn't exist anymore. Uh. He was a relic of the era of music when you needed gatekeepers to make things happen. Sure. And so the feel I walked away with from, uh, from the whole experience was like, yes, we learned a lot. Yes, it was a very valuable experience. It made us a better band. He helped make us a better band. But it also kind of seemed like for the same amount of money, we could have made three records. <laughs> and like, like have, you ever, have you ever heard the fourth year freshman album, Rock Your Box? No. It's a pretty good album. It, it was definitely like the beginning of our new sound. Like it was when we became like what I would say, like what I would call a legitimate rock and roll band. And and we got better as a result of it. But um, like we got our families to help us pay for it, to help us um, finance the thing. And you're talking about $25,000. Holy God. To make a record about you know, getting wasted and licking girls' buttholes. Like, this, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was just, it was one of those things. And he would like, he would, you know, call up this friend of his and be like, oh, we're going to go to this studio phase four down in, in Tempe, Arizona. And so his buddy at that studio gets a piece. And then this guy's going to uh -huh. come in and he's going to be your front of house sound engineer. Nice. And that okay. guy gets a piece. And this guy's gonna manage you guys, and this buddy of mine. So gets this was a like piece. a package deal thing. Yeah, this is I like mean, a, I think like this goes beyond production. I this think he had really good intentions, but I also feel like it came from nobody was spending money on producers or or like it was this thing of like you know. Just, just give me a little money here, and I'll make sure you you got everything you need to Grease make it the in bombs, the business. Eh? Yeah, <laughs> and this is during the time when like home studios were becoming a big thing, and and yeah. you were able to do a lot more on your own. Right, and so you didn't need people like this necessarily. So there was a bit, there was a bit of a chicken hawk feel to it. Right, you right. know what I'm saying. Yeah. Where it kind of felt like we and our families were being taken advantage of. Right. But at the same time, 
we learned a fuckload. Like we learned a lot. And one of the things that we learned and Ty had to deal with especially is playing to click track. Yeah. And I'm talking like Ty is in the studio doing these sessions and the guy is in the booth with a flashlight going to the click and just like berating Ty and just one, two, three, four, the flashlight back and forth and really put Ty through the ringer. And Ty will straight up say that that experience made him a better drummer. Well, sure. It made us more, you know, it, it made us take it more seriously. It made us begin to think about the possibility of being a career band. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and and ever since that experience, that studio experience and, and the process of making a record in kind of the, the classic way, kind of making a record in the in the industry standard, and I'm making air quotes here, right, right. the the air quote industry standard kind of way was a very useful experience for us. And what we learned about click track is that, and this is where I kind of have the mixed feelings, is on one hand, it's like, yeah, man, you can, um, you can copy and paste. You can edit things. You can. It makes it editing a lot easier. You can put things on a, a grid. You can take, you can take like, oh, this pass of these drums doesn't work. We can swap it out with this pass that does right, work. Right. And we can. And you can do that without a click track too, but. It's way harder. It's way, yeah, it's way more difficult. And, way more difficult. And I guess kind of the downside, and this is one that is kind of, you know, the, the, the old guys talk about is nowadays if you have, you know, Pro Tools and, and, you know, Beat Detective or whatever program it is, it just, it sonically just lines everything up and there's no natural um, ebb and flow to it. There's no... Uh, Right, there's no fluctuation within yeah. the yeah. It's it's all regimented. Right. And so I have I have mixed feelings about that and I don't and I don't know if that has has um been to the detriment of the quality of I don't of see music. I don't think the type of music that you you guys do it's a very precise kind of music, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like metal and like I don't know. Your songs seem like they require that real metronomic, you know, just feel to them. Mm-hmm. So, like, to me, that it's a good fit for what you guys do. And I think, well, and you know? I think, I think click track, click track was always something that was in use. And, but it was more like you weren't, it, there was no computers. So you weren't going to like upload it into the software and, lock everything in right so i don't right. I, I don't know yeah. man i i will say that that since then we've always recorded to click um you can the, still get really natural sounding things playing with a click track though you know like mm-hmm. i think that's the thing is that it requires a lot of experience it's a skill that you acquire the more time you spend with it the better you get at it that's the only reason right. i got good at it and i can you know lay down drums or bass or guitar or whatever to a click track it's fine like i don't play complicated drum parts <laughs> you know what i mean but they sound like they sound like they're in the pocket you know i, I also that's feel like important. I, I also feel like you know 
and and I hope Josh. Well, Josh doesn't listen to this show, but I hope it doesn't get back or back around to jo- Josh that I'm saying this in a derogatory way. But as a drummer, I think that you need to be able to play to click. I think as a rhythm player in general, um, you know Andy Burkaw, right? You know how Andy Burkaw got so good at bass. He told me he's like, I just learned the modes and played to a metronome. Yeah, that's it. You know, and if you do that homework, you I think you don't need the click track as much. Right. You know, right. you're going to be using it on the front end or you're going to be using it on the back end. Yeah. If yeah. you are someone like Ginger Baker that has perfect time, yeah. you know, I highly doubt Ginger Baker was playing to a click track. Oh, yeah. I not so, Something not tells me that he wasn't. No, I, w- I would be highly surprised if he was playing to a click track. He probably would find it insulting if you asked him to. He would probably punch you. But yeah, probably. <laughs> but there's this um there's this like like I think it's almost underemphasized the importance of rhythm players specifically playing re- practicing to a metronome. Yeah. You know, setting your metronome at 120 beats per minute and just doing your modes, doing your scales and all the other stuff I don't do. You know, <laughs> I, well, I do. I do guitar instruction here and there, and I, that's one thing I tell my students is like you have to play to a metronome. Like you have to practice that way. Yeah, you've got to do it. That's the only way you're going to get good at. Rhythm. Otherwise, you won't recognize when when the meter falls. Yeah, like when you're when you're fluctuating tempos. Yeah, and um, you know, I've I've watched bands play where I'm seeing their drummer, and it's like they're really good at straightaway patterns like they're it, but then as soon as they have to do a transition it's like they're throwing off their entire band because they're you know you start like recounting in your head you yeah. know it's like one two three four one two and three, you're getting and ready for doing that fill or whatever it is and, and you fuck up yeah and then you just start counting again it's like no yeah. no 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 you missed you missed three beats back there yeah yeah and everybody, everybody else, else to, is still counting to one. Everybody else is still counting one through four yeah. in a row. <laughs> yeah, and you're not in a row, and <laughs> and you're not, and so now they've had to catch up with you. Yeah, you know. So, um, yeah. So is is the use of click track something that you would like to see happen more in your band, or well, just just the ability to have it as an option? I generally, I, I really like having a band, so I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I really like having a band, so I'm not going to say anything that might upset the people in my band. Well, I will. I will say that I I prefer to use a click track, and I've tried to make it happen, but it's not it's not something that's natural for anybody else in the band. So it's just we try and do the best we can. I will set up a click track and be like, "Here's the tempo we need for this song," and I will play it for like two minutes straight. And be like, this is the tempo we're looking at. Well, 125 BPM. If it's any consolation, yeah. I mean, I've listened to your records, and I've never observed any f- tempo fluctuations. In- well, great. <laughs> I mean, I haven't. You know, and and maybe that's saying something. Is maybe maybe that says that. Well, there's there's definitely. I mean. It takes work to get those things to fall into line if they're not working. Like we have, we had one song that we kept working on. It was like, no, slowing down, speeding up, slowing down, speeding up. This is not working. We can't have this song on the album if we can't play it right. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. Right. 
But once we got, once we figured out what the perfect tempo was for it and we played with that tempo and we just kept doing it over and over and over, it became a lot more natural. And then it was like, okay, well now we can do this. And it's funny, the things that you do in the studio that you don't do live, like you're like, okay, we've played this a million times, but once you get into the studio and you're picking over it with a fine tooth comb and you're listening back to it and you're just like, Jesus. There are times when I wish that we played live to click. Yeah. You know, and, and which Ty, if Ty was sitting next to you right now, he would be he would be scowling at me, shaking his head because he thinks that's awful. Well, yeah, I, I can but, see where it would be a nightmare, but there's a lot of bands that do it. That This is my main argument for – if you're in the studio, I feel like you're kind of going to naturally have a more laid-back tempo anyway. If you are doing a live show – I've listened to live recordings of ours and been like, what the, fu- what the fuck were we thinking? Like we were so excited – that we're like playing way too fast. Really and I'm like, really fast. Dude, and, yeah. and like in the moment, it was like, oh my God, we sounded amazing. We just put on the best goddamn show we've ever played. <laughs> and then you listen to the recording later and you're like, Ugh. just barely hanging together, just just about to go off the cliff, but it's just oh, yeah. somehow hanging together. Yeah. But you're like, oh, I'm crushing <laughs> it. And, and I don't know, this is another thing. And this is kind of a a side, you know, kind of tangent, weird. Um, I feel like we were more popular when we were less good. Because That's interesting. Well, because I feel like we were most popular when we were in high school because it's a social thing. And it's like- the music doesn't matter. It's like, let's all get together and go to the show and party and get drunk and break stuff and, and thrash around and ah! Yeah, yeah. And then as time goes on, your social group starts to, you know, go their own separate ways and split off into subgroups and and sure. you kind of have like oh, yeah. your regular friends and you stop, you lose that need to have as many friends as possible. Right. You grow out of that. Yeah. And... Ideally, if you are in your mid thirties, late for you know mid thirties through mid forties, you aren't going around trying to recruit um, you know sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen year old kids. Right. Hey, you guys, you guys should really come to this rock and roll show we're doing this weekend. I think you kids would really enjoy it. You know, that's really not happening a lot unless you're getting to a level of. Um, you know, unless you're getting to a level where where young people are starting to discover your music and then are coming to the show. naturally gravitate to what you're doing. You know, yeah. But if you're if you're just, you know, the local band playing shows for your friends, it's pretty much the same fifteen to twenty five people are gonna come see you every time. Sure. And uh and and it and then, you know, we I think it's important to replenish that that fan base with some of the younger people, but that's only going to happen if you're like playing a show where that their parents bring them to or with a band that they do give a shit about and then they kind of discover you. Right. You know, but uh, so as we've gotten older and have started caring more about learning our instruments and learning more about songwriting, now our median fan base is men age 35 to 44. Yeah. That's our key demographic. Th- men, 35 to 44, just a bunch of dudes. Dudes. 
<laughs> with jobs and mortgages and, and yeah. kids and wives and stuff. And like, hey, can we wrap this up by 11 o'clock? I got to get up early tomorrow for a meeting, you know. Yeah. Or the kids got so- the kids got karate class in the morning. You're like, playing at 10 o'clock? Jeez, Louise, <laughs> I'll catch you guys next time. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, a little tangent there, but I, I have noticed that. Like, I remember, like, feeling a lot cooler when my band sucked. And now it's like I've gotten to the point where we, like, we're a, a, a I mean, we've accomplished some things, and we're a fairly well-known band as 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 well known as a local band can be i guess and i i'm a lot more self-conscious i'm a lot more critical a lot more harsh and feel a lot and feel a lot less popular does that make sense oh yeah yeah that makes sense that makes sense were you super popular when you first started playing in bands never (laughs) never Never, Never well, ever. I mean, there were no. I've been in bands that were popular for sure, but I don't know. Everything I've done has kind of gone against the grain, except for a couple of things. I think that the more like uh, the more I channel myself into something that sounds more uh, mainstream, like the better I do in that regard. You know, Wait, now, what, what, what do you mean? Like, well, like I was in a bluegrass band, and like I was doing songwriting in that band, like way more or on a different level than I'd ever done in a rock band or a metal band. I was in a fucking like metal reggae band for a while. You know, like nobody wants to hear that shit. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I mean, we loved it, but you know, we were I don't know. You know, we were doing lots of things. You know, and we thought it sounded great, but. You know, nobody wants to listen to that right. shit, you know? And we go and play with bands, and they're like, wow, those guys are actually really good, and they're interesting, and like, wow. You know? <laughs> well, there are, plenty, you know? <laughs> there are plenty of bands where, like, like it, it, and I was, I was talking to a client of mine, and, um, and I would actually shout out to Andy because I know he's listening, and I was talking about the importance of um, – how the current tour, the whole purpose of the current tour is to promote the next tour, especially oh, right. if you're going to new markets. Sure. Because I have straight up had promoters tell me, talent buyers have straight up said, I don't listen to any of the bands that, that right. send me stuff. I don't yeah. listen to a single one of them. I don't have time for that. I check the numbers. If their numbers are good, I'll book them. Right. If right. I if I if I if it if they have a track record in our market and I think I can get people out to see them, then I will book them. But if I I don't know what you sound like. I don't care what you sound like. Yeah. You know, you could yeah. be the greatest band in the world, but if you've only got 300 followers on Facebook and you're going on your first tour, I don't give a shit. Yeah. You know. And um and so I feel like there are plenty of bands that have sent me links to their stuff or have sent me videos that I was just, it just doesn't, it doesn't connect. You're almost, you're experiencing the music in a, in a very cerebral way, as opposed to if you show up and you play in a bar in front of people, those are the shows when they go, 
oh my god, if I had known, I would have put you with this band, this band, this band. Next time you right. guys come through, that's, I'll get you a guarantee. I'll that's put the you life with this story band. of Granny yeah. Tweed. That's like that's we, the life story go of out, every band. If we go out and play on the road. Like we can blow people away and people go, holy shit. Like, you know, like we couldn't interest anybody here, you know, really mm-hmm. like just like, oh, okay, well, well unless it, you what, were playing for new it? people. So well, that, that, well, right. That's true. That's if, true. If, you need to get in you, front of new people in order to if really you do just anything. if you just marketed yourself to the people that already know you exist, you're going to get mixed results as far as people that you're bringing in the door. Right. You know, but if you can get in front of a a bunch of new people with the people that already like you, you know, if you if you can do the volume where you're getting on stage in front of a large crowd of people and you can and you can convert some folks and you can create those optics that we've talked about right. of, of like, you know, putting f- projecting an image of being a a professional established band. Then the people who are into you and are really moved and have an emotional experience attached to hearing your music, then they're going to go look you up online. Then they're going to listen to your songs. Then you're going to trigger familiarity. Yeah. Familiarity is a huge thing. Yeah. You if you if you can build in familiarity where like people can go to your stuff later and they go, Oh, I remember that song. Then the emotions come back, and they, they, um, they, they feel like Joey Klont said when he was on the show. He said, "I just feel like your music has always been there." Right, right. You know, yeah. I remember, I remember him saying that. Yeah, that's that that's is a, that's a really that's a really great compliment, man. Like, well, and it's a common thing when people fall in love. There's a part of our brain which builds that familiarity where like when you meet somebody and you're super attracted to them and you fall in love with them, you'll have that experience of like, I feel like I've always known you. Yeah. I feel like you've always been around. Right. And I would submit, I have no evidence to back this up, but I would submit that that applies to, um, to music and movies and 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 other oh, yeah, absolutely other experiences yeah. where like you know man I was having a really tough week and I went into the club and that band was playing and they were really nice guys and we partied and we hung out and we had this really great time and every time they come to town I go and see them and I love their music yeah you know now if you somehow manage to find that same guy get in a time machine go back in time and just mail that guy out a CD or send him a link to your album, he'd probably be like, what, what the fuck is this? I mean, <laughs> you know, just, it would go, it would go on a shelf somewhere and collect right, dust or, right, or, right. or end up in a junk email yeah, folder. Yeah, absolutely. Know? But that's, that's the thing, you know, I mean, I don't know. Like I've always had this weird aesthetic that it's like, I want to hear something that uh, I've always been attracted to bands that, kind of are outside the box or do something a little bit different, you know, and that's the kind of stuff that I'm, I really want to do. Right. But I know, you know, I know what's up with that as far as like gaining an audience. I know that's not the best way to gain an audience. I, I legitimately, (laughs) I legitimately enjoy your band. I think that, I think that you are unbelievably creative. I think you guys all are, are, quite prolific as far as as far as your creative output goes and i think if you guys 
were just able to get some opportunities where you were you were playing in front of some some bigger crowds, getting in front of some new people. Sure. Like I think that that would be huge for you guys. Oh yeah. Because the that's the, that's all we're you know that's all we're ever trying to do is just get in front of more people. Well, it, and, and you know. there's there's this double edged sword because it's like oh the way to get into more people in front of more people is to play as much as possible. But then if you do that, you oversaturate. Yeah, yeah, and you you end up becoming kind of that that background noise of of the overall scene. You know what I mean? It's just. You end up just being another local band, you know right. what I mean? As opposed to like, like creating that thing where it's like, oh, Granny Tweed's playing. This is an experience that I need to be present for. This is an event that I an need event. to go to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Making it an event. Like I, I had a band member in an, another band I was in that, who talked about trying to make every show like an event, and I was just like, I'd never thought of that before. You know, I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. You got to make it some somewhere where like. Like when a band comes to town that even the people who you know don't like music. Right. Like there are right. some people that you you just know don't like music. Right. Like if like there there, there are sometimes you'll you'll see people where they will they will criticize a legitimately good band and then be like, Gigi Allen's fucking awesome. Or like Hank Three is awesome. Sure. You know, it's like Hank Three is awesome, but I have a feeling that for you it isn't because of the songs that he's writing. It's because of the the lifestyle that's associated with it, the tribalism so that's associated. There's like, a lot that goes around that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like that, like that we talked about earlier. Yeah. And so th- there are those shows that'll come to town that like people will go to because it is the place to be seen and they want to make sure they have their Instagram post from the show. It's like, Oh, like, like Holland Oates was not a concert. You know, Holland Oates <laughs> was, was a social media opportunity. Yeah. Because yeah. now I'm sure they were great and I legitimately love their music, yeah, I love but Holland I'm sh- I'm sure there was a ton of the people that were at that show who were there because it was like, oh, let's go to the Hall and Oates show. We uh, White Fudge played with Vanilla Ice. As soon as he played Ice Ice Baby, everybody left. Man, it didn't matter what else he did. Was that like? Was that when he was doing his metal thing, or was that after he that? Did, or w- when was that? Honestly, dude, I gotta hand it to Rob. <laughs> Which is how he introduces himself to people. Oh, really? He's a super nice guy. I'm a I'm Rob. Yeah, he's like he's like, hey, what's up, man? I'm Rob. Nice to meet you. Super nice guy. Super tall. Also, really. He, he put Jerry in his show. He had Jerry dress up like a clown and and <laughs> dump water on people and stuff. It was really cool. All right. He was a super nice guy. His show consisted of um, him doing some of the stuff he's better known for, which isn't much. Right. But there are things that he is known for. Yes. And he DJ'd and he had, you know, he he put on a show. Now, I wouldn't say it was great, but it was it was entertaining and there was thought put into it and he wasn't I've seen uh, we played with Naughty by Nature not too long after that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And at the same time, I really felt like Naughty by Nature was kind of phoning it in. 
You know, when we played with Slick Rick, I really felt like Slick Rick was phoning it in. You know, there there are certain artists where it's like you can tell they're doing it because they need the money. And Vanilla Ice was like he was also doing it because he needs the money, but he's a hustler. You know what I mean? He he had a show there's on some, television some at the time. Was asked to get to get the job done. He he yeah. he seemed to me like he was putting forth an effort, even though he under he knows who he is. You know, he knows where he is in the pecking order. He knows who he is in the music business. He knows that there are people who are just coming to see him for that factor. Now, if you can figure out a way to make your show the thing that people want to be seen at and want other people to know that they're there. A really good example of this um, as far now to move away from the example of Vanilla Ice, but a really good example of this um, would be like Iron Maiden comes to town. You know, it's like that's an event because that's that's like if you're you say you're going to a maiden show, that says something about you to other people. Oh yeah. So even if you're not like if you're like a metal fan, like that says something to other metal fans, but if you're just a uh you know, your your regular run of the mill music fan and you're like you know, you're like, Hey, I'm going to see Maiden tonight and you know, that that kind of says that says to people, it's like, it's like, oh well, what what kind of concerts will he go to next? You know, it, it you know, what? God, I just can't, I just can't get a fix of this guy. I just can't put this guy in a box. I mean, last week he was at Hall and Oates. This week he's at Iron Maiden. It's like, geez, there's an element of that. And if you can, if you can make your show the cool place to be. You know, if you can make your show the event that people want to be at, which, you know, I guess we have pulled off a couple of times. Like Monsters Mock, we were usually pretty successful with Monsters Mock. When we did Steel yeah. Panther, everybody wanted yeah. guest list spots. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah. like, when we got to do those Steel Panther shows, that was something to be at. It's like, oh, we're going to go see the boy. I, I know the band that's opening for Steel Panther, and we're going to go and, right. and and you know see our friends at the Fillmore and party, but then also see this you know wacky band play. Like, that's an event. Yeah. You know, that's something. Uh, or like um, going to uh, see Purple Rain at Film on the Rocks after Prince died. Right. You know, because then it's about something else. It's about something bigger. And it's like, oh, I want to be seen there to let people know that I get it. Right. Right. So how do we. I get it. How do we make it. How do we make Granny Tweed something that people have to get it to that's, be at your you show? You know, uh, that's something that uh, I'm going to have to hire higher above my pay grade for. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's not so. That's not a. Uh, that's not a. Uh, a problem I can solve. That's mm. that's that's something for somebody else. To well, figure obviously, out. it's a problem that uh, that almost none of us can solve. Um, oh, you know what? Another great example is is um, Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats. I like Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats a lot. Like I really do like that band. I get enjoyment out of listening to them. But at the end of the day, they do one thing really well. That's really it. You've heard one Uncle Acid song. You've heard them all. Like all, they, right. they, they have, but they have a very specific vibe and they have a very specific brand and they have, 
a thing that just like attracts the girls with the floppy hats and the rune tattoos and the Ouija board back patches. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. Like that is a, it's like, it's like, Oh, uncle acids in town. I've got to, I've got to go to that show. And the people that are at the show, it's like, yeah. And we're exactly the opposite of that. Like we don't have a one particular sound that defines us. And that's what makes it difficult to, but that can be the thing that defines you. Well, it, I think it is the the, the <laughs> like the the entire philosophy of your band, the it can become your brand, right? You know the 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 philosophy surrounding the music that you write, because at the end of the day, there are hundreds of millions of songs in the world, right? Absolutely, hundreds of millions of them, and some of them are pretty good. Yeah. Some of them. Yeah. I mean, I don't... How much music do you really listen to anymore? Well, Like when uh, you're like driving in your car? Since or the advent of the podcast, uh, increasingly just a I lot really less. I really don't listen. A lot less. But I don't know. I listen, to, I listen to records at home. Right. We listen to records a lot in my house. So, um, you know, I still listen to things in my collection, you know. Right. I maybe listen to less newer music. I mean, I definitely listen to way less newer music than I used to. Mm-hmm. But when was the last time you heard a new band that you were like, I'm fucking obsessed with this band. This is my favorite band. Like, I've been like, like. I think. Like, you know how you used to like you would hear a band or you would go like even in adulthood. I've had phases where I've been like, sure, yeah. Like when I first started getting into Thin Lizzy, I was listening to him constantly. Yeah, you know, yeah. when I started uh, my my reintroduction into Faith No More. Yeah, you know, listening to him constantly. When I went and saw the the Ween reunion shows, you know, I had a very emotional experience right. with that. Constantly listening to him. And you kind of do those, you kind of do those reruns. Yeah, you know, you know, you just kind of go through that where you just again you, and again. You binge you, on those bands. Yeah. yeah. When was the last time that you really like hardcore binged on a band on a, on on like where a band came came into your awareness and just was like was like fuck everything else. This is it. I'm I'm going to listen to this band for at least the next week. It was probably Ty Siegel. Ty Siegel's pretty cool. And at the same time, um, La Luz, because I saw them play together, and I was just like, these fucking bands are amazing. But you had that experience. Yeah, I did. And that, and, and that indeed, I ended up listening to them for a long time. <laughs> it's, <laughs> oh, man. But, you know. We've be- solved nothing. We, we have solved nothing. We <laughs> We've solved nothing. <laughs> We've philosophized a lot. We have. We have. Well, and and no, we have solved something, because... I think that the goal is is it's not it's not necessarily play as many shows as you can and it's not necessarily get your music to the right people or get the right producer or get your album to the right people or you know the sound that's going to change everything and like it's going to make <laughs> make the cigar chomping guy with the pony nub you the know the sound of sit, tomorrow coming at you today you know you you hear those stories <laughs> about like you know, I the first time I heard this band, I knew they were going to be huge. I don't know if that exists anymore. 
because we are so yeah, inundated with content on a regular basis. I feel like it's a scroll fest. Yeah. And so I feel like the mission now, I feel like the goal now is to try and create as many, it, not even as many, trying to create experiences which are as impactful and authentic as possible. Right. You know, where where basically you can utilize that emotional component where you can have where you it's not I'm traveling as many places I can and playing for as many people as I can it's how can I maximize the impact that my performance is giving when new people are in front of me right you know how can I create an experience where these people are going to go home and they're going to binge on my band because of the amazing experience that they have yeah yeah yeah. And that, you know, and that ultimately, like my band doesn't tour a whole lot. We tour maybe like three, four times a year max. You mm-hmm. know? And we'll go out for a week or two or whatever. That's a lot, by the way. But you guys tour a lot. I don't really. It's, it's How many shows a year much. do you play? I don't know. <laughs> I do you, don't, do you, I don't would you say track. you play over 20 shows a year? Oh, yeah.H- oh, yeah. I mean, that. I mean, 20, I, I tw- would, 25 shows a year is pretty good. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I I don't know. I, I don't know the law of averages and you know and all that shit. I if have you no weren't idea. touring, if you if you did not tour, and you and you only played once a month locally, that's twelve shows. Yeah. So like, if you were doing any more than that, you know, locally, that you would probably be oversaturating yourself a little bit. Oh yeah, well, and I feel like we've done that. We've ridden that horse. We definitely have done that in the past. Yeah. That, you know, there's the you thing. With, there's the thing with you have to recognize, and or or I've I've over the past couple of years kind of taken on this this perspective of like I need to utilize my hometown for what it is. It's like sure. I have a lot of contacts here. I can make things happen to a certain degree. I can maybe get a piece of ear from someone who is in a position to of authority to help me out. I can get us on, on a support or an opening slot. I can get us into a club that I want to play. You know, I can maybe get a little more money from an established fan base, but I'm probably not going to pack a room here. You know, I'm probably, never going to register as anything more than a local band to the local button pushers in this town. Right, but how much do you love playing in this town? That's a very loaded question. (laughs) I love being from here. I love playing here. I love seeing people, but I also know that we take our local bands for granted no matter where we are. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it, now that that's like the ex, the the experience of like whenever someone comes in here from a foreign country, it's like this band from Japan is here. Like uh, <laughs> yeah. P. Lander Z is here. You know, like oh my god, these guys are from another land and they're coming yeah. here and playing. I've got to make sure I'm at that. Yeah. That the the same thing kind of applies when we go overseas, where it's like it's like ooh, this American band is here. Let's go check them out. Yeah. I kind of feel like we should just 
be on an exchange program. Like, <laughs> you know, we'll actually, I, I, I wouldn't That'd be wi- great. I wouldn't wish that on, on any of, of my friends in European bands, uh, the touring in the United States is, is comparatively pretty God awful. Like, you know, when that's you, what I've heard. Even yeah. at the, even at the lower levels, the music business is just better organized over there. And people seem to care a little bit more, and there seems to be a little bit more infrastructure to the lower levels of it. Whereas out here, if you're playing on the lower tier independent level, oh, it's a no man's land. Oh, dude, they're like, they're like, you'll get your hundred bucks in your, and you know, for if you're lucky, you'll get your hundred bucks for gas and your drink tickets, and that's it. Yep. You know, no one's gonna be here, you know, except unless the local bands do some work because we're not going to do any work. But, you know, our experience over there has been like, you know, well, we were really expecting 500 people tonight and we only had 350 people. It was very disappointing. <laughs> this tour did not do as well as everyone thought it did. We we did a tour. Um, and at the end of the tour, our label rep was like, yes, everybody's very disappointed by how the tour went. And we're like, greatest tour we've ever been on in our lives yeah yeah like this you were is a, stoked about it dude we were yeah. stoked we're like well not every show sold out it's like dude it's like, like you understand what our usual yeah we'll <laughs> be lucky if any of our shows sell yeah at yeah, all yeah let alone sell out like yeah. oh my god three people paid admission to get in here in a town that we've never been to that's like hey man well, that that was my first impression of um like I, gr- I grew up in Wichita and I moved to Lawrence, Kansas. When I moved to Lawrence, Kansas, that is a college town. It's really fucking bumping, just like bands going through there all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed at the level of talent. Like when I was first getting into that world of going to clubs and going to shows and shit, like I was amazed at the level of talent of people that I had never heard of. And like it really oh, yeah. started to click. I was like, oh, shit. There's like there's kind of a, a little bit of a crisis going on here. There's like, whole scenes. I mean, it's of, insane. There's there's whole scenes that are made up of bands that are the best bands you've ever heard that nobody's ever heard of. Right. You, right. Know, you go to Austin, Texas, <laughs> and see the the yeah. local bands down there. The bands that are just like, yeah, nobody knows who we are. Nobody gives a shit. Yeah. It's like it's like you know. Once in a while, we get on a stage for South by Southwest, or once in a while, we get to open for you know some band. We've played all the clubs. We've met famous people. You know, we've performed in clubs for famous people, and still, you know, nobody knows who we are. Right, right. L.A. You go to L.A. and it's like you see bands that are like rubbing elbows with rock stars all the time, and there's there's a healthy underground scene in L.A. And and I've met some very sweet people that like are you know they're a little L.A. but you give you know you give them a pass because you understand where they're from and the environment they're in, but you know they all have stories about like oh so and so is producing our record and you know so and so rehearses two spaces down from us and so and so comes sees us play and I have so and so's phone number in my thing and and we got to open for so and so and still. Outside of their scene, they're nobody. Right. You know, and and so I think it's I think it's very important to um 
to understand who you are in different contexts, you know, and utilize it for the advantages that it has and, and learn to kind of play those cards. You know what I mean? Like here in Denver, we have certain, certain things like we are local and established in a kind of happening city right now, but it's not going to amount to us becoming big, huge rock stars. And, and, you know, there, there are certain things that, that you need to utilize being a, uh, a local band for. And there are certain things that you need to utilize being an unknown band on tour for. And there are sure. certain things that yeah. you need to utilize being an international band for. There's those different contexts and different um, optics that you project right. in those different circumstances. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to take a quick break? Let's do it. And we're back. Hi. Hi. Boy, we uh, covered a lot of nothing today, didn't we? <laughs> it's all nothing. It's all garbage. A lot of useless drivel. Just solving the world's problems. You know, at least we're the only podcast in the world. That, I think, is most important. We, you know, really got into this before anybody else did. <laughs> Trailblazers. Yeah, Really. Really, and I think I think what? once it catches on, we're going to see our numbers. Um, we're going to see our, 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 a dramatic increase in our numbers from like eleven to twelve. <laughs> this is this is like forty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're forty four. Actually, I will say this: I I did look at our um, our Apple. I've only looked at our Apple Podcast numbers, so I have no idea what the numbers are off of just our website. Um, because we do stream it on our website, I have I have zero clue what our numbers are on on Google Play. Do you have a way of measuring it from your website? We can see who went, but I have no idea how many people have um, engaged or actually, how long or, or whatever. I was just curious about that because I I don't know. There's about those a metrics. there's a um. I assume that I should be able to look at it and see what the the plays are because it's the same as like putting putting music on there. So I don't know. Maybe I should look at that and find out. But I do know that um our our numbers are consistent. That's so good. that's so, a good thing. And after this show we just did at the at the Oriental, the guy who the the one guy who did a a write up on his independent blog like obviously listens to the show. Oh, right on. Because everything that was in the write-up that he did was stuff that we've talked about on the show. Oh, super cool. You know, like that. Yeah, I mean, it was like, like mentioning I got fired. (laughs) You know, he was like, he was like the MF Ruckus guys. Aaron Howell, who just got fired. Pretty much. He was like, (laughs) he was like, uh, he was like, uh, basically the whole the whole premise of the um, the article was was it was talking about basically like how the government shutdown couldn't shut down rock and roll. Oh, right on. Because, yeah. And we talked about that on 
you know, when we talked about the Hank situation and right. and he had mentioned the fact that uh, the Parker had left the band and he had mentioned the fact that I'd gotten fired and he mentioned the fact <laughs> that Logan had surgery and, and, and these things. So he was familiar with kind of the backstory. Gotcha. So, I mean. Current we, events. I mean, we we are seeing conversion. We are, you know, having people come up to us and go, hey, I heard on the podcast about that, da, 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 and, and this episode was really great. And, you know, we, we don't have, you know, thousands of listeners every week, but we definitely have the, like, consistent numbers from week to week to week. I had a band hit me up for a show because they heard Granny Tweet on the show. Really? Yeah. They super. heard you on the yeah, show. it was super cool. I was like, that's awesome. Wait, what band was it? Was uh, it like a rocket? Yes. Oh, that's Andy. That's, I was going to say yeah. I, Andy. Andy's a good egg. Andy's a good contact to have, especially have you guys played Boise before? No. Now you have a contact in Boise. Excellent. Yeah. No, Andy's a good egg, man. And like a rocket's a good band. And, and Yeah, I like the sound of their band a lot. Like, I checked them out. Yeah, and, and I mean, um, Andy is, is very serious about being a, you know, being a career musician. He did, um, you know, he's he's come out here and and played with like Michael Dean Dameron and um, and cool. uh, and John Snodgrass and stuff like that. So he's right on. He's like he is grooming himself and preparing himself to be like for the the rock and roller retirement plan of being like a guy with an acoustic guitar who sings songs like this, you know, like that. that's what, that's what happens to all of us. I don't know if you know that. Oh, uh, I'm working on it. Oh, that's right. You are working on it. Actually, I currently have my plan in action. Actually, I saw, I saw your name on, um, you got added to that, uh, uh, hellbound glory show. Yes. And, um, uh, Jeff, from uh from three from three kings had hit me up a couple months ago about that and had asked if i if i could do like a an acoustic country thing and you know i'm i'm going to be out of town for it but uh asked if i had anyone i could recommend and i was like you know i was like Ryan Chris and Gordo and right, Randy on, yeah. you know it, it like and then i saw you on that and i'm like oh gordo is moving nicely into his <laughs> rock and roll retirement plan you yeah know, Let's hear a song I wrote about cigarettes and <laughs> whiskey and my ex-wife. And, and this here's a song I wrote about loneliness and rain clouds. And this here's a song I wrote about my old dog and truck. My, I just I just always tell people that my songs are really stupid or really depressing. And it's just really, there's not a whole lot of space in between. I like, so. I like your songs um, because, like, you have this uh, this very broad appreciation for like a lot of different genres of music. Yeah. But you also are a weirdo. So yeah, you I'm, have first and foremost, I would yeah, hope. Well, so you have this like <laughs> you have this like fun kind of bizarre weird um I don't know, flavor to everything that if you do, like if you do a country song, it's going to have kind of a little bit of a weirdness to it. Like if life was fair, which it isn't, but if life was fair, Gordo, <laughs> it ain't. You, you would have come out in the 90s and been very successful. Oh, sure. You would have been like. Um, I would have been topping the charts. You would have been, <laughs> you would have been like, like Mark Lanigan is now. 
Oh yeah, well that's that's a high compliment. I love that dude. Yeah, I I saw him on um on an episode of uh, Anthony Bourdain um uh, places unknown or whatever that show was. Not the No Reservations, but the yeah. the the one that he did afterwards. That's cool. I didn't know he did an episode like that. That would be well. He did awesome. a he did an episode in um in Seattle, and Mark Lanigan is from Seattle. Right, and um. I had heard of him, but I didn't know he was like in Screaming Trees and that he had done so like I didn't realize he had done so much stuff sitting in with other people. Oh, yeah. And I really feel like if just knowing about your interest in um, in bands like uh, like Mudhoney and 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 that whole world, like I think that if you had come out writing the stuff that you're writing now in the nineties, you would be, you would be ridiculously, um, successful. I just, the timing's all wrong. Yeah. (laughs) But the timing is all wrong. But alas, you did not come up in the nineties. And, um, so we have have a producer. So you're here doing the podcast with me instead. Hulk Logan O'Connor's in the house (laughs) producing this episode. Now he just walked in the door with a six pack of Dos Equis and, and uh, how how we doing in there, Logan? How we sounding? You sound good. Cool. Oh, what, he's got he's got something. What do you got? What does he have? Hold on. Oh, cannoli! Holy cannoli! Logan, lo- uh oh, I un I unplugged myself. Oh shit! Oh wait, there it is. Yeah, there we go. Oh, God forbid you can't hear yourself. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Well, then my love affair with my own voice would come to an end. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the band would be over, the podcast would be over. Just, I, I, I am. Um, I will admit though, and I don't know how it is for you, Gordo, but I am finding myself becoming less and less and less interested in fame and success. The more that I s- become hyper aware of the misery of famous people the less interested I am in like, I'm like, like, Ooh, I don't even, I don't even know if I want, like, like if I want a thousand true fans, like I, that just, that just seems overwhelming to have that many people with access to you. I've just had one goal for the past five years of my lengthy career in playing music. And that goal is just to keep my cats alive with my music. (laughs) If I can, if I can do that, then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm helping someone. Well, I'm helping my cats. I think my cats would be stoked if the band broke up, <laughs> because as it is, Sarah and I are gone all the time, and our cats are very needy. And if oh. I, if I, like, I came by the house today, and they were thrilled that I was home, and I came in, took a shower, and I left, and it broke their little hearts. Do they act out? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, they act Do out. They have they, behavioral they, issues. They, they scratch up the furniture. They they wreck stuff. Um, and mostly they act out later on when we are home because then, you know, we come home, we're winding down and they want to show off. Oh, and they want to party. Yeah. So they're yelling, they're crawling all over us. They, um, one of the cats mouse, he's very loud. And one of the ways that he chooses to express his displeasure with you being asleep is he (laughs) springboards off of your body onto the headboard. (laughs) 
So that's pretty annoying. So he cli- he'll climb on your shoulder or your back or your chest, and he will leap up onto the headboard, digging his back claws into your skin as he does show as he does so. And um, like an a. they Look, like it's a cat right there. Oh, that cat's a nobody. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, speak of the devil. I love cats. <laughs> um, anyway. So, uh, in this in this next half of the show, uh, real quick. First of all, I want to give a shout out to um, some of our sponsors. First of all, Matula Plumbing. Matula. Displains, Illinois. Shit rolls downhill. Don't be at the bottom. Your shit is our bread and butter. Your number two is our number one priority. Angie's list. Super Service Award 2011 went to Jerry Matula and Matula Plumbing. Matula Plumbing, Des Plaines, Illinois. Ask for Jerry. He'll wear the booties for you. Rocket Space Rehearsal Studios, 2712 Larimer, here in beautiful Denver, Colorado, next to the Larimer Lounge, located right in the middle of the Rhino District. Do they still have the location down on South Broadway, or did they get rid of that? That is a monthly... Oh, they Jam. just do monthly down well, there. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's been a while since I've been to Rock Space. The last time I talked to Kate about that, it was a monthly place, and then she said they were letting it go, and it's becoming like a church or something. Or oh, maybe, really? Maybe there's a church that's going in next door. I don't know. I have my information. I mean, I feel like they don't really up. need the second location. The first location is that their business model is fantastic. Hourly rehearsal studios, Absolutely. fully equipped, friendly staff, uh, reasonable rates, and... Quite frankly, it's a good place to to mix it up and um, see who's out and about and doing stuff. One of the best locations for that kind of place that yeah. could possibly be. I like I like doing the pre beers at Larimer Lounge because you kind of get to shoot the shit with some of the other bands who are in there playing. You get to meet some bands you probably wouldn't normally have the opportunity to meet. Very true. Uh, it's it's very cool. We're a big fan of uh, Kate and the gang and everything they do over there. Evergroove Studio. Uh, in Evergreen, Colorado, state-of-the-art, solar-powered audio and video studio. Uh, man, see Brad and Jenny about your next project. They really do incredible stuff. Um, big props to B-Rad. Oh, big props. And it's it's a super beautiful place. Um, I really like just being able to escape Denver and and go up and commit to working on the project for a day. Uh, we always have a really good time when we're up there, and it's a uh, it's it's a it's a space which is conducive for creative work. So Evergroove Studio, uh, tell Brad the boys said you. Flipside Music on South Tacoma here in Denver, Colorado. Uh, you take uh, those big box stores and you you throw out all the garbage, Fuck all the stuff guys. that you don't need, and the and all the the guys. Mum fumbling their ways through "Sweet Child of Mine" and 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 what's my age again? And wait, is that a song that people play? I don't know what people play. I I know what people play. I went in there. I had to go in there. Unfortunately, what do people play ago. at Guitar Center now? It's fucking like this old dude, Shredder dude, was just hammering, 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 just on and on and on. Maybe want to fucking puke. What are they hoping? Are they hoping that someone's going to be walking around and be like, hey? He was actually really good. You've got it. Well, there's lots of people who are really good that like hang out and shred at fucking But it's a really center. bad idea to do that. I just don't understand what the purpose is. But that's not what it's like at Flipside Music. 
Flipside Music only has the stuff you want, none of the stuff that you don't. Uh, fantastic selection of quality guitars, guitar pedals, amplifiers, and a bunch of other cool shit. Ike's a super knowledgeable guy, uh, and he manages to get his hands on some some pretty rare and incredible and and fun stuff. So Top stop notch. by, stop by Flipside Music and tell Ike the boy sent you. Mutiny Information Cafe at Two South Broadway. Records, books, coffee, pinball. Uh, man, what else? Records, books, comics, coffee, live events, live performances, uh, all sorts of cool shit. Just a cultural hub in in the center of the Denver metropolitan area. They also um, they also promote podcasts and uh, among their live events, and this is one of them. Uh, that's right. The motherfucking podcast is a Mutiny Transmission, which is a media service division of Mutiny Information Cafe. So they do it all, man. Um, it's the cool surf music when you when you listen to it online. That is... Who is that? That is Ned Garth Explosion. That's Ned Garth. Of course That's it Ned is. That's Ned Garth. Of course it is. And when, I, when, um, when we played with Ned Garth and I got to hear that song, I was like, dude, that's the song from our podcast. Like, dude, I love that. I, I really love that band. Really love that band. Ned Garth is another one who I think if he had come out in the 90s would have been fiercely popular. Um, I want to go on a tour of the 90s with Ned Garth. Dude, it, it, he's he's got such a great sense of humor and such a um, – like the, his – like the Ned Garth explosion, their catalog is kind of all over the place. And it's very cool. Very cool band. Very fun band. Great songwriters. Great musicians. Uh this is also brought to you by the Ned Garth Explosion. Um, the Uh pound for pound, the greatest homegrown comedy in years. Uh, make sure to go to the nugnation.com and, and catch the nugs and all their wacky adventures. Got a new episode dropping soon featuring the real life Leonardo DiCaprio. The real Leonardo DiCaprio. No is shit. In it. Yeah. Yes, shit. Yes, shit. Leonardo DiCaprio takes a shit. Well, he, we didn't actually get his voice, but we did get audio of him taking a shit in the airport. Shiza. Yeah. I mean, he really had to go. TheNugNation.com. Check it out. We're here at Nug Nation Studios in Denver, Colorado on uh, Delgany Street, uh, which is, uh, what, what do you call this? Globeville? Is this Globeville? I think it technically is, right? TheNugNation.com. And last but not least, the 32 brave souls who back us on patreon.com slash mfruckus. Man, you guys are awesome. Um, we've got so many amazing plans for your help. Uh, we've got so many amazing plans that we're going to be able to do thanks to your help, uh, including putting out our new record this year, some more chapters of our comic book. Uh, we're going to hire a publicist that's going to do some amazing things for us. Really, we, we oh, we're supposed to go on tour in the fall. Like stuff we, we really would not be able to do it without you guys. So thank you. Thank you so much. If you'd like to see how you can help out and get access to some some stuff that no one else gets access to for at least like 20 minutes. Um, actually, sometimes they get access to stuff that nobody gets. There's, there's tons of exclusive content and uh, stuff just for the patrons. Go to patreon.com slash mfruckus. All access. So um, for the rest of the show... 
I, I, I kind of wanted to steal an idea or not, not steal an idea, but, but kind of jump on the bandwagon with a, a bit of a trend that's been going on recently. Um, I was listening to the, the chain reaction records podcast. Have you listened to that? I have not, but I did put it in my queue cause I saw that you, you talked about it on, on, yeah. on the social medias. And I, in the, the newest episode that they did, they were talking about there, there was a meme that was going around that, um, that has been kind of popular where people were talking about, you know, what was the band or, you know, or the bands that for you got you into countercultural music, extreme music, punk rock, metal, whatever you want to call it, that umbrella of like underground rock and roll, you know, and they did this whole episode where they're kind of talking about their their origins. And I thought it was I thought it was a great podcast, especially because a couple of the guys on that show, as I mentioned in the comment that I posted were the local bands that kind of got me into local underground music. Josh and Justin Lent, um, both in the Clusterfucks. Uh, Justin was in Homesick Abortions for a while. He's been in a, a ton of bands that that I knew about when I was kind of young and getting getting into stuff. And, you know, I had talked about some of the guys in that scene that were kind of mean and rude, and <laughs> those dudes were not like that at all. They were cool dudes. Yeah, they were they were very cool guys and, you know, um uh Justin even filled in with us once a long time ago when we really really sucked and and you know, he had no business sitting in with us, but he did and um you know, we we're like you should join our band like like they they definitely were around for our for our infancy and um and and were took us under their wing to a degree which was really cool and then uh Brian Wenzel from Crimson Hay Baylor and and Lion Bitch and um Mudstack and a bunch of other bands he was uh on there as well and uh man i mean i remember seeing Crimson Hay Baylor play at the Red House in the Highlands when i was a young buck you know when i was 19 and um and you know he used to print T-shirts for everybody in town. Printed our T-shirts a long, long time ago. So it was really cool hearing guys who were part of my origin story talking about their origin stories. So super cool. In the spirit of that, and as kind of a nod to them and a nod to um, uh, to what they were talking about, I wanted to piggyback on that, and I wanted to ask you, Jason Gordon, Gordo, Uh-oh. Gordon Leadfoot. Oh God! What what oh, were God. the what were the bands like? What was your what was your origin story of like going from listening to maybe more mainstream music or the stuff that your parents listened to or you know what you were hearing on the radio to really getting into you know underground music, independent independent music, the the, the stuff that is off the beaten path that you were you're more into today that kind of led to you being the guy that you are. Well, as we discussed earlier, uh, as a young poser, um, and a particular, uh, when I was a young, <laughs> when I was a young posling, <laughs> a posling, that's a good one. Posling. Yeah. And I was also a, a, a skater, a wannabe skater. So I was like, actually I was, I was posing on several fronts at once there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I was like, when I got into skating is really when I noticed, like oh these these other kids are listening to some other shit now just know? so it, just so we're clear like what what year range would you say this was in because you're you're a little bit older than I'm I older am. so this was like I would say this would be like 
I don't know, 87, 88. Okay. So, like, at that okay. time, at that time, like, uh, I don't know, like, it was, <laughs> it was a different time. You guys don't know. <laughs> you kids don't know. You just don't with know. With your AOL messenger. Well, no, I, but I, I started to see, like, I started to hang out with the kids with the, you know, with the patches, with the Misfits patches, and I was just like, oh, it's just like a skeleton. That's kind of cool. What's that, you know? Right. And I was listening to some pretty abhorrent music at that point. I you know, will not mention what I was listening to, but it's really bad. And uh, so I, I got into Metallica, which was kind of a gateway into it's like wait they're wearing they're wearing the same skull shirts as these guys I'm skating with and I got to know what that is you know right and so I had really no way around as a total geeky kid I just had to ask straight okay look who's this band you know like I need to know who this band is you know and, oh that's the Misfits you know because I was really into Tesla so you were really into like, Tesla oh I was super into and Tesla, Tesla rips by the way they had some you know music but <laughs> the thing is. <laughs> it was not the kind of Logan liked that. It was they had some, you know, music. <laughs> well, they technically, did. and um, it, so at that time, like I was just kind of used to hearing things in a certain way. And when I experienced punk rock, I was just like, "Holy shit, this sounds so aggressive and raw!" Like, just it was off the chain. I found a record in this record store that I went by every day on my way home from school, and I would go there almost every day. And I went in there and I got the "Die Die My Darling." single mm -hmm. and it had um we bite on it as well and i was just like we bite i was just like holy fuck like this is just nuts it's fast it's fucking nutty and from that point on i was just like i need to know more i need to get more of this shit i need to understand and i i kind of concurrently went on a metal and punk like diet from then on that's it like and the little you know, geeky crew that I ran with and our little skater crew, we didn't really differentiate. We were just like, oh, yeah, like, you know, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Misfits, Suicidal Tendencies. Right, and that was during that crossover time, so that made sense. Like, all that shit, like Agent Orange, all that stuff. It was just, it all, we, it was all in there, you know. And there were some, there were obviously, you know, there were, there were kids that were just like, oh, you know, metal sucks, you know. And there's kids that are just like, oh, punk rock's terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know. I mean, like, but in you, this is in Kansas. This is in Kansas, man. So, this is in fucking so, Kansas. What do you want me to do, man? So, you like pretty much like from what I understand of your upbringing in Kansas, you were like really in no position to to uh, opt out of anything. Oh, it, like like it, there were there weren't enough of you to really be like I'm only going to be a punk rocker. Or I'm only going to be a metalhead. It, yeah, it's like it we was, all kind of have to. Yeah, we had our little together. like kind of geeky clique. You know, that was that was how it was. <laughs> and that's what we did. That's and we cool. just yeah. So we were just like we we would try and you know try and ollie, and listen to Megadeth and and fucking you know, St and fucking all that shit. So yeah, like I, and then when I went to sh started going to shows, like I was really aware of like the cultural difference between like right. you have the skinheads, the punk rockers that are not the skinheads. You have the metalheads, and then you have like the the thrash dudes, and then you have like the the pu the puffy haired dudes that were there for some reason at the Sepultura show I don't know what they were doing there but they were there now did you did you have like we kind of talked earlier about like the like the exclusivity and the feeling of like having to like prove yourself and and like feeling like there were people trying to 
put you through a, a vetting process almost to be in the scene air quotes again like uh, or, yeah i did I, that did that go on where you were from or was there a lot less i was that? pretty much labeled a narc from the word go so uh <laughs> like i had i had glasses i had no fucking i had no chance like but and I didn't you didn't really... have your sweet beard that you have now. <laughs> and I and you didn't have, have your fashionable sweet, sweet you didn't have your beard. fashionable glasses. Right. And but but no, I, I and I didn't really have any interest. Like I was uh the more I hung around like punk rockers and metalheads and shit like that, it's like, yeah, I dig these bands, but like these people are kind of assholes. Right. You know, like I was just like, What's the deal with this whole exclusivity thing? And we went through that earlier, you know, and uh, well, you gotta, you know, this is this is your cool card. This is the, your uniform. Here you go. Like, and, and this is what you have to do to be into our scene and what we're doing. And it's like I never really bought that. I was just when like, you get when you get ten punches on your card, you get a um, a, a free crass back patch. Yeah. I just I, I learned to be an outcast from a very early age. So you were an outcast so from the outcast. Fucking matter. Mm-hmm. I thought it was all lame. Yeah. And so how now how old were you when you grew out of that when you grew out of the 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 exclusivity and the tribalist side of it uh, I I never really bought into it so you you never had that no where you had that like that that group think type of I had I had lots of I had lots of friends on all sides you know as they say these right. days <laughs> yeah but like th- it wasn't you know like I I felt like I was doing myself uh, you know, a disservice by just trying to identify with one set. You know what I mean? Right. So like, I don't know, just me being uh, an individual didn't really seem to click with anything that yeah. anybody else was doing. You know, like, so it's like, you know, be, being an outsider is kind of how I identified myself for a, from for a, a very kid, young age. For a so. kid, that takes a tremendous amount of. Dude, my dads were gay. Yeah, I, I mean, but it it, it takes. Like, a, I, I didn't really have, you know, I didn't fit in anywhere. Right, so. but but what I'm what I'm saying is that takes a tremendous level of. I I would say the confidence and self assuredness to be able to go to be able to risk being ostracized by just saying, you know, hey man, this these guys these people are kind of jerks and I'm going to kind of The word go, is narc though. Well, no. <laughs> Cuz that's what that that's what I got labeled as. This guy that guy's a narc. So so you never you never even had the the taste the sweet taste of of popularity and acceptance so it was much easier for you to maintain being an, an outcast because you'd already been one i i had my uh junior high 15 minutes i think your junior high yeah, 15 junior minutes? high 15 minutes junior high was one of the best times i've ever had in my life i hated high school like so I, that's really opposite of what i most think people if you, say. i think well i, I mean, think I anyone who you know, likes high school is is lying kind of a psychopath <laughs> to a degree <laughs> Like you meet those people who like really, really liked high school and were really into everything about it, and it, it, there's something unsettling about being so identified with school. Yeah. yeah, like I definitely like was a tribalist to like through and through, but I was never like proud of my school. Like I was never like. You, you know, like had what, what is that? Had my identity your school? There, like, what does that actually? There mean? are people. There are people I don't know that, what that like means. They love pep rallies 
and they love they they're really into school sports and they're really into the school activities and yearbook and all that stuff. There are people like that. Oh, sure. There are people who are really into their college. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, more, yeah. more so the people that are really into their college where like their college or their high school is their their identity. Yeah. The, those people are pretty unsettling. But I, th- yeah. I, I, I do think I it's- went to KU. <laughs> oh, you, so, went, you went so to KU? I went, I went to KU. And, and so I understand the, the tribe. Did you graduate from KU? Did. So you had like a full university experience. I, I did. Unfortunately, I did. Yeah. And by the time by the time you even got there. So, OK. So what age? So you, you talked about kind of the age when you started like getting into like misfits, suicidal tendencies, Agent Orange, Metallica, Anthrax, that whole world. Um, Slayer. So what, at what point did you, did you decide that it was okay to be into that cult, be into that art without being into that culture? Because you said you never entered into it. And Logan and I, we really got caught up in the, in the cultural side of it. Yeah. You know, Logan's brother pretty much introduced us to all music that wasn't what our parents listened to. Like there was, there was the stuff on the radio. Yeah. You know, like a little bit younger listening to like KS1075 and listening to like, you know, uh, rap and R&B and shit like that. But then, then Logan's brother Marshall started introducing us to alternative and classic rock and metal and punk and and then Marshall's friends who were his same age group so it's like you know it, like the, some of the some of the first records that I'm buying with my own money are like like I bought both Green Jello records and I bought Rancid um Rancid Let's Go and like Green Day Dookie and yeah. and The Offspring and and we're learning about Led Zeppelin and we're learning about ska music and all these different things and and no effects and right. I got I got really into into Ween about that time and yeah. um and but 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 I'm like I'm also getting like the crash test dummies and then bad religion and then better than Ezra <laughs> and the Foo Fighters and kind of just like, what am I? What am I doing? Where am I Once going? Oh, dude. There was this kid. Hey, man. The, the, the crash test dummies have some <laughs> underrated material. And I really hate to say this, but I think that this is the second time that I've talked about the crash test dummies on the podcast. All right. Big number two. Yeah. But like, but then there was this point where we started like dressing the part and going to shows. Like I remember the first punk rock, like first concert Logan and I ever went to is Primus on the Punchbowl tour with Mike Watt. Great show. But at, at that point, you know, at that point we're like seventh and eighth grade still having, you know, birthday costume and Halloween parties in my parents' basement and, and having mosh pits to to Green Day songs and and um and offspring songs and like crowd surfing in the basement and listening to nine inch nails and shit like that. But then Ooh, but then edgy. there was this point there was this <laughs> point where we started dressing the part 
and we started like hanging around downtown and started listening to like like dirty like scumbag punk rock you know what i mean like uh like started learning about di and tsol and started watching started watching suburbia and romper stomper and (laughs) and uh and and things like that and started getting really into um avant-garde and kind of countercultural film and got really into the quincy punks loved the quincy punks they were one of my favorites and I would say that, like, Marshall introduced us to this very, like, broad world of, like, alternative music, like, kind of showed us a bunch of stuff. But when we started getting into and identifying as punks, you know, right. you know, smoking a lot of weed and drinking a lot and going downtown and, like, actually looking up to people who call themselves gutter punks and trying to hide the fact that we were from the suburbs and like going to like started listening to the subhumans and crass and and wanted people to think that we were bigger badasses than we were right um and then later on got into the skinhead thing you know got into the traditional skinhead thing and started listening to a lot of Oi and a lot of ska and going to shows and doing the the boots and the braces and we had a little we had a boots little gang braces we had a little gang yeah. we we had a little crew called the Belt Boys oh because shit. the older skinheads made fun of us because we wore thick suspenders because we were fucking posers you know <laughs> and the Belt Boys they, wow. we, like because they called us the Seat Belt Brigade because we had big thick sus- because some of us wore big thick suspenders and they thought they thought we were posers but we kind of had and I've talked about this on the show before just like the older guys like we're teenagers and they're guys in their mid 20s and early 30s who were like letting us come over and drink at their house and oh yeah and it was like in those, those are, years those are important people yeah <laughs> they are, and it was around that time that like we were really getting into the 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 tribalist idea of like this is punk and that's not punk and this is what skinheads do and this is not what skinheads do. Like I well, used see, to get. I think you you were surrounded by more of that culture than I was. You know right. what I mean? Like so that's that's another part of the reason why you know I didn't really have an identification or you know just an introduction to that lifestyle and that right. group is because it just, it was almost non-existent. Well, and it was okay you for know. you to just maintain the bands that you were into. Like you, you kind of had this wide variety of bands and you kind of, you didn't have that culture kind of shaping uh, which like tribe you identified with. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot of shaming, you know, dude, like from being either side of the tracks on that stuff, I would definitely like, I definitely had to keep my, my love for ween kind of to myself. Oh yeah. You know, like my love for like alt rock. I kind of had to keep that to myself, you know, and rid of that echo in the Bunnyman. I I never got into echo (laughs) that goddamn echo in the Bunnyman. But it was that's a uh, terrible example. But that's like some of the guys we hung out with, um, <laughs> they would they would pound on me for uh, for smoking weed because oh, it was you're a, you're a hippie. Then. Yeah, if you smoke weed, you're a hippie. Right, and it was this right, 
And I remember, like, at that point, like, actually buying into thinking that the skinhead thing was, like, who I was. You know what I mean? Like, like this is this is just who I am and this, this like, getting uh, – that was when the Dropkick Murphys kind of broke your, out. Yeah, your your identity. In, like, the, 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 two, the 2000s, to the early 2000s when, like, Dropkick Murphys and uh, the Give Them the Boot comps started coming out. Ah. Uh. Like that was really during a time when, when that lifestyle started to, um, started to surround, like started to inform who I was. You know, the the it was it was more about the social scene than it was actually about music. And then there was even a period of time where, like Logan and I. Got really into hardcore. Yeah. And I am embarrassed to admit this, but there was actually a period of time where, like, like we liked to go get in fights and, you know, hardcore dance and stuff like that. Yeah. And, like, and, like talk, Inst- talked a lot uh, about pride and family. Instigate. And, and talk a lot about, like, like, you stab me in the back and the crew and, and like, a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> finger pointing and a lot of arms around buddies and drinking and shouting and, and like dude I there's maybe a handful of those bands that I still listen to I mean I, I can appreciate you know I can appreciate hardcore I can appreciate um, you know some of those those ska bands that I listen to I can appreciate some of those like dirty punk rock bands I got into I can appreciate some of those grindcore and and crusty bands but I can all, I I mostly have a handful of those bands that I still legitimately enjoy I still listen to Spaz on the regular Spaz was another one of those bands and I, I Mighty Morphin Power Violence are you fucking kidding me I love Spaz I love Spaz but I can't remember the last time I listened to a Spaz album. You know, so much of that was like I did that two weeks ago. So, well, so much, <laughs> so much of Spaz, my interest in Spaz was like about being into stuff that like you don't know. Fuck you, like like you don't understand my music, Dad. You know, you don't understand <laughs> my music, Mom. And you, you normies don't tried, get it. Okay? Yeah, just back off, man. Right. I just, I, I <laughs> you don't know, you don't even know. Just go to bed. But that's, but that's what's so funny is that like a band like Spaz came and played the Outhouse in Lawrence. I would have never. You known. actually got to see Spaz live. Fuck yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah, it was fucking awesome. I was like, this is the best band I've ever seen in my fucking life. And then when I bought their records. And they had all the fucking like samples in between their. I was like, this is fucking brilliant. It was like two of my favorite bands from that era, Manor Asterman and Spaz. They had like these little, you know, they had these little skits or, you know, samples between their songs. Yeah. I was just, I was such a fan of that shit. We, um, so love it. on an album that Fourth Year Freshman made years ago that you cannot find anywhere, I don't have it. I don't know anyone who has a copy of it. Um, but we made this album called Drunkenomicon. And we recorded it in uh, our old guitar player Jordan's basement in Highlands Ranch. And we got really into, like, the samples and and stuff and doing kind of shitty, noisy things. And we had a bonus track 
that um, was it. It was just a sample from a Spaz record that was looped because they have. The, I can't remember what album it is, but there's like they've got this like hip hop beat. And, yeah, and and it's just like a little sample in between songs, and we isolated that sample and looped it, and we had a um, a freestyle rap track. I think I even know what you're talking about. That bong, gong, gong, yeah. Gong, gong, <laughs> yeah, gong, gong. yeah. We just had that loop yeah. over and over again, and that's me, a badass little loop too, man. Dude, it's it, fucking awesome. And we we put that's it on great. we put it on the end of a record, and we we did these god awful raps, and yeah. yeah. Me, me and Logan have probably lived in like three or four quote unquote punk houses together. And then at a certain point, I, you know, you kind of have falling outs with people or, or like we talked about earlier, like when we were talking about how our, the less popular our band got, the better it got, <laughs> yeah. you know? So like, yeah, as, as basically our social group started getting smaller, I lost that need to have all the friends I lost that need like I started to learn that that identity that I had chosen wasn't serving me you know and so much and so much of it was being a like a fucking poser dude like the 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 label was correct but the label was deserved to the guys who were saying it too right sure you know what I mean sure, yeah. because it, it, I yeah. was putting on a show yeah you know I was put like there's this whole thing about like, uh, let's get a handle at 10 high whiskey and get wasted and just be these scumbag loser gutter punks and like hanging out with people who could see through that and knew I was a kid from the suburbs and were kind of, you know, laughing at it a little bit. And like, and all the while that's going on, I'm trying to push harder and prove myself harder and harder and harder to hang out with these people who really didn't even like me. Yeah. You know, and that's it's just so interesting, man. Because I grew up in an environment where it's like if you weren't being like true to yourself, then you were kind of seen as more of a poser. You know, it's like you know that I don't. Why are you doing that? You know. Like, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like we had, we were just a bunch of misfit dudes. Like, well, but that's that's know, that's like, something that I think a lot of like punk rock and hardcore and and countercultural type of people say is like you got to be true to yourself. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, but you're not being true to yourself. Yeah, what is true to yourself? You're wearing when you're a costume. Fourteen years old. You're wearing like, a, honestly, really. Yeah, you're wearing a costume. You're wearing the yeah. same uniform that everybody in your group yeah. of friends is wearing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. It's fascinating. Um. So yeah. Well, I think we're gonna close out the show now. Gordo, I really appreciate you sitting in and doing the show with me. Uh. I'm no substitute for Tony Lee, the Windy well, City Madman. Well, you're far more articulate than he is, and that's not to say that Tony doesn't say intelligent things. I just mean he has difficulty. He says lots of intelligent things, but he goes. He goes. He needs to get closer to the microphone. Says you know? some brilliant things, but you never know because he goes. One of the funniest things of the last episode know. was Tony, the audio book version of the Hero with a Thousand Faces, Tony reading. <laughs> it's just like Penguin Books is proud to present The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell as read by Tony Lee. And then there's a big pause and then Tony just goes for my family. That is it.
If you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the last episode, number 43, when Fonz was on the show. It's really good. It's a great one. In fact, this episode, comparatively, dog shit. <laughs> we should stop making episodes after that because we're never going to make a better episode than that. This fucking couple of schmucks talking about, ew, this is what I think. Yep. These are my feelings. This is this how I is feel. This is my background. Listen to how I feel. I have a microphone and I'm going to tell you how I feel right now. This is my opinion that I got from someone else. Yeah. Dog shit. <laughs> Awful. Worst episode we've done probably. No, this is a pretty good episode. This one is definitely more of a thinker's episode. Oh, yes, yeah, a thinking man's episode. Yeah. yeah. Because we did a lot of thinking. We did a lot of pontificating. A lot of stinking. This episode. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate would, you as always, Gordo. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate that. Uh, we appreciate hey, that very much. Well, when are you going to see Josh Finley next? Uh, that's such a hard question to answer. Oh, oh, Wednesday. I will see him Wednesday. Wednesday, we're having practice. Um, you should tell him to come on the show because I would love to have Josh yeah, on the show. I'll get him down here. I'll drag him down here. And I'm hoping next week. You get him and Terry in here. I would they can, love. They can tell some old bluegrass band stories. They're I, they're really good. I actually. would love to have Terry Tuesday and Josh Finley. Those guys are really when they when we're in the van and those two start talking stories like old touring stories and shit. It's the best. I would love that. It's pretty great. I would also. Um, I also want to. I think next week talk a little bit about a subject that there there's a little bit of information about, but I I haven't been. Um, I've had a little trouble finding finding information about long distance collaboration because that's something that um, oh yeah that's something that we're getting ready to have to do once Tony leaves and we're gonna be over the next four months or so doing an increasing amount of experimentation with with long distance collaboration. You should have people call in long distance with their long distance ideas. That's a great idea. Uh, I mean. What would be awesome is if technology, you know, we have so much amazing technology to help us out, but there is no, there's pretty much no way to play at the same time. Like you can't Skype someone in and have band practice. It's really difficult. So you have to get creative and, and, and figure out like what we're doing right now is we are beginning to experiment with what our workflow is going to be like once Tony moves. Because I think it's still important to maintain that get together with the band once a week, be in the same room and work on things. But we have to figure out a way to do that where it's back and forth and making the best use of our time. So right. it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting. So um, stay tuned over the coming months to see, uh, to see how those experiments go. Um, in the meantime... This has been episode 44 of the motherfucking podcast. I'm Aaron Howell. I'm Gordo. And uh, thanks for listening.
You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. 